Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Hey, real quick, if you are normally a third service person, would you throw your hand up real quick? All you second service people, just say hi to them. That they don't. It's like, it's like thank you guys. We're glad you're here. So um, we are uh, as as Carmageddon has or has not occurred, depending on whatever perspective we seem to take here. How many of you guys actually went out? How many of you guys stayed home? How many of you went out? Raise your hand. You actually went out. There was nobody out there, was there? And then on the other side, how many of you guys stayed home? That's because you guys would have been out there, and there would have been people there. So the. Uh, the reality is that we've helped ourselves out, and I had actual kids playing on our block. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I was like, wow, there are other people that live on my street. And so it was a, um, it was a pretty cool thing. And so we, my name is Greg Harris. For any of you that are guests here, I'm the senior pastor at Olive Branch. Glad that you're with us. We are actually launching into a completely new series this morning called Miracles. And really, it's a, it's a conversation about this, this thing called miracles. What is it? What are they? How do they work? And in fact, um, Probably everybody has in some way their miracle story or something like that. And at the same time, I think I find it fascinating to hear what those are because really we have a lot of thoughts about what is a miracle, how do miracles work. For example, in 1979, a great miracle occurred. My wife was born um, and she... um, I love it. Maybe it's not quite a miracle, but it occurred. And uh, but what's interesting is when she was born, she was actually born without a hip socket. And so her leg, as she got older, continued to grow, and it was starting to grow up into her body instead of stopping where your hip is and growing down. And so there was this reality that um, her her parents had to take her in and have her examined, and and they were like, "Oh man, what are we going to do?" Because um, if it had been a couple years earlier, they would have turned around and said, "Well, there's nothing we can do." We're going to have to help her with this brace and a club foot situation, all that kind of stuff. And, but this was a kind of a new time period in medicine. And this young, the way that I was told by my mother-in-law is this young, cocky, young surgeon comes up and he's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little bit of her bone, take this hammer and go bink, 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 and it's going to grow into a hip socket. And that was about the maximum of explanation they received. And they're going, okay, you know, there's this their little daughter who's, who's little, and she, my, my wife was not a big person at the age of any age, actually. She was pretty small all ages, and um, especially when she was a baby. And, and so they did this surgery on her, and they, they opened her up, made this hip socket in a sense, and then she's two, and she's tiny, and they have to do these x-rays on her. And what was interesting is it was something like every, every other, you know, every other week or every week, a couple times a week, it was a, a ton of x-rays because we were checking the growth, seeing how it was. She was in traction and she, I mean, this is a little baby doing this stuff and then having to go through crawling later in life and things. But it, it was a, a hard and difficult time period in my, in my in-law's life. And at the same time, it was a horrible reality of what the future may bring. You see, she was so small, they didn't have any coverings her size that could cover over her ovaries. And so the eggs were always exposed to these x-rays. And there were, I mean, x-ray upon x-ray upon x-ray upon x-ray upon x-ray was occurring where she's just exposed because they have to check this hip. And as they were going through this, the doctors were very clear to her parents. They leaned over and they said, listen, the amount of exposure, the amount of x-rays, there's likely none of these eggs have survived. It is a high probability that she is not going to have children. And you need to help her learn this and see this. But um, my in-laws were, were, are, are great people of faith. They trust God greatly. And so every single time she'd go in, her dad would pray over her body and pray for God's protection because that was the only protection that they had. 
And so fast forward many years later, I started um, really kind of dating my wife. And we, as we're talking about this stuff, we're getting closer to that marriage conversation, as we're closer into that marriage date, we're talking about children. And really, she lets me know. And I had known for a long time that it's not likely I can have kids. And so we were constantly talking about, all right, well, that means we'll do adoption. And we were okay. We were sold out, bought into this idea that this is where God was leading us. This is what was going to happen for us. And lo and behold, um, about four and five months in of our marriage, we're like, hey, let's give this baby thing a try. And my, my, my daughter was born nine months later. And then I had a son and another son and another son. And um, I kind of think the prayers worked, if you know what I'm saying. So, and it's awesome because, you know, whether the eggs are damaged or not, we're still questioning that. But they, uh, I'm just kidding. No, they're, they're, they're fine. They're perfectly fine. I'm, my children be like, I hate you, Dad. Uh, so, no, my, uh, my kids are awesome. And it's one of those things I can't count anything, and our family can't count anything but mir- miraculous that God healed. He did something there and protected or healed where otherwise there should have been no life. There are four little lives in, in, that I get to use illustrations for all the time. And I think that's what God was intending. But the, um, the reality is that some of us may want to say, hey, the fact that there was a surgery, that's a miracle. Or, or, or the fact that we ever met, if you know our story, so I sometimes go like, man, that seems to be miraculous. There's this miraculous elements f- surrounding our lives. And yet, there's a tension involved here. We live in a culture, we live in a time period, we live in a society that's uncomfortable, to be quite honest, with the concepts of miracles. In certain, in certain areas, you're talking about miracles, you're going to look at cross-eyed, like you're some kind of odd, oddball who believes in flat earths and unicorns. And somehow that you're, you're, you're out of the loop, you're out of the norm, the norm of history at this point. Because in the 17, prior to the 1700s, really people believed in miracles, they believed they occurred, but there was a man named David Hume who wrote an inquiry into understanding, was the title of his book. And as he wrote this out, he comes to a chapter on miracles, and he makes this argument about miracles, and basically levels that, hey, witness can, witnesses of miracles cannot be corroborated, because they would have to be, and he goes into this argument of, of they have to be as miraculous as the miracle themselves to even identify, because God would never break his laws. And that's really what he comes down to. And so there's been this big fight in philosophy about whether miracles are possible or not in the, in the Western world. And people will drink the juice and the, of the Enlightenment and the Renaissance and believe, no, God, God doesn't work. God doesn't act in that way. The rest of the world kind of went on with their reality that supernatural things occurred. But the West has struggled. And in that, there's been a bit of a reaction. Some of us as Christians have kind of, like me, struggled with this. We, we kind of sit in a zone where it's like, yeah, I think there, I know there's miracles, but I don't know if I've really seen one. If I have, could I identify it? I feel a little embarrassed even talking about this. Others of us are like, no, miracles happen, man. They happen all the time. They happen routinely. We should be seeking them. They need to occur. And so there's these two very strong realms within the church, one on the verification side, one on the some, sometimes everything is a miracle side. And, and so we need to step back and kind of talk about this idea of miracles because, to be quite honest, the cultural norm in America has affected the church no matter where we stand in the church. And that's through these three terms. This is actually the terms that are coming out of um, cultural conversations, anthropology, all this stuff, that really many people are saying, if you want to know what the religion of America is, it's these three terms, moral, therapeutic, deism. 
And this is really as the average. If you're kind of a guest here today, you believe in God, you're like, yeah, God exists. Sure, God made everything. The average American believes there's a God. The average American, however, believes that God cares about how you act. Your morals, how we treat each other. There's, they're kind of this moralistic, but it's a, it can be a relativism or morality. It's like, I don't hurt you, you don't hurt me, otherwise do whatever you want. Tolerance is okay. We're going to be moral to each other. And then therapeutic is where the tolerance comes from because none of us want to feel bad. And so religion's about feeling good. You want to come hear a happy message. You want to be excited about what's going on. You want to be entertained or you want to, you want to have somebody tell you it's all going to be okay all the time. You know, that kind of stuff. And what we have is a therapy session at church. And the last one is really this, this, yeah, I believe in God. It's called deism. This is the one I really want to focus on in this series because deism is the picture that while God exists, God does not necessarily always nor commonly interact with the universe he's made. In fact, what it's really about is that God made the universe, he set it spinning, and then walked away. Or stands around observing the universe and watching what's going on, waiting for some future date in which, yeah, he'll judge everybody. And usually he's a nice grandpa, Santa Claus kind of God in the sky and because he wants everybody to feel good and pretty much everybody's a good person. Only Hitler and Stalin and a couple others are going to hell. Otherwise, if you don't have those names, you're safe. And the reality is that that's pretty much how we view God. And the deism portion has affected a large canopy of Christians. To where honestly, we look and we think about God and we, we doubt whether our prayers work. We wonder whether God can act. In fact, we feel embarrassed, if not a little um, self-conscious about even proclaiming the concept or the idea that we would believe in the miraculous. And yet what's at stake here is something fascinating for Christians. While many of us struggle with this, at the centerpiece of all of our faith, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. What's at the centerpiece is a miracle. To deny the miraculous is to deny the very faith of Christianity. To deny the miraculous We are in an exercise that honestly is pretty silly. To sing songs to a God who really can't do anything. To preach about a Lord who really hasn't changed anything. Who is standing outside and one day, yeah, you're going to meet Him, but He really doesn't care that much. Super Bowls can come and go and He doesn't have an opinion. You can do any kind of thing at your work and it really doesn't matter because... You know, you're generally a good person. Life's about feeling good anyway. What's God care? And if that sounds anything like some of the thoughts, even if we don't consciously think that, if that sounds like our life and kind of the world we live in, you've been affected by deism. And I want to challenge that perhaps our insecurity about miracles that is at the center of our faith is because we're afraid to realize what's really going on. In fact, what's interesting about miracles is they're, they're kind of really difficult things to, to grab and understand. We think of God outside this box, and to define a miracle then is really difficult to, to kind of harness. In fact, if you ever read any books, and I've, I just bought, brought two of my books up here on miracles that I've read for this series, just because just one of them has 
has some information in it that maybe we'll use. But the reality is most people have trouble. These guys have trouble defining miracles effectively. Because there's all kinds of ways people want to define miracles. All kinds of things people want to set up a miracle as. But let's just be really simple. A good miracle is going to be where God does reach in because he wants to tell us something really important. God does reach into this world. He isn't standing out on the outside waiting around. He actually literally reaches in and can do things because he has something really, really important to tell you. Now, the definition then of this reaching in of a miracle is a miracle is simply this. It's when God uncommonly acts. I want to make that clear. It's uncommon. Miracles are when God uncommonly acts in a manner. It could be in a supernatural manner where no, where no nature is used. It could be in what's called a supranatural manner. We'll talk about those two things here. But really, the picture is that God is able to reach in and he does act. And it's uncommon action. My wife and I, we, we love doing premarital counseling when we get a chance. And one of our favorite sessions is always to sit down and, and hear the story of people. We talk about those stories and, and we listen to those stories. And man, sometimes those stories are unbelievable. You ever heard a good, unbelievable love story when you've had somebody over and they tell you how they got together? You're like, that's amazing. How'd you guys even meet? Like one was born in India and the other person was born in you know, like Pasadena or something like that. This is actually one of the stories we know of that was in our church. And she had been married and her husband had died and they managed to meet across the street from each other. How do you end up from India to across the street from each other, fall in love, get married, and, and, and have a great marriage that works? Let alone when, if they had, they had met each other years before, one of them wasn't a Christian, the other one would have never thought about it. I mean, that's, that's amazing, that's a miracle. No, no, no. It's not a miracle. How, to take it to a different level, how many of you guys have ever thought about your parents getting together and realized, with just one small change in any of their decision making, you don't exist? Anybody done that one? That, that's scary. That's like a... One small decision difference and boom, no, no, my wife doesn't exist or I don't exist, therefore my kids, it's just, it's amazing. But none of these things are miracles. Actually, technically, they're called providence. See, providence is God's regular work. It's his regular dealing and regular outworking. See, God hasn't just taken the universe, set the laws of physics and nature, set it spinning, and occasionally he's like, okay, if I get a chance, I'm reaching, I'm reaching, no. God is the one spinning the universe. He's the one moving it. He's the one who tells the wind to go and it goes. He's the one who says the grass grow and it grows. He's the one who gives food to the lion. In fact, the Psalms are very clear that this is God's authority and his way. That the Psalms declare that he is the one, and you can, you can study this in the Beyond the Message if you get that, but he declares he's the one that makes even the most mundane things occur in this universe. That God's providence, his regular work is constantly moving everything about. And if we don't believe that, then you can't believe that he will use all things to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Because then there are things in this universe that are out of his control. And the reality is that nothing is out of his control. He's not a deistic God watching it spin and looking in. He is actually involved, engaged. You're going, well, what about my freedom of choice? I didn't say anything about the freedom of choice. You have a freedom of choice, and God is able to use even those. So how that works is a whole other debate and conversation we're not going to deal with here. But providence is God's regular work. 
It's his full orb control and constant use of everything in the world to bring things to happen. And you know what? Providence is amazing. Have you studied how the sun rises and falls? Have we studied the fact that this universe is so finely tuned on a knife point that any small adjustment, none of it exists for us to be here? That if there's not the right set of planets and the right conditions with the right moon and the right atmosphere, that there's no life on this planet? That's just providence. This is normal work that he keeps it going in physics, let alone his providence of bringing us together, of meeting each other, of his relational connections, of all the things that he is bringing about to paint his story and his picture. His providence is amazing. Just look at a baby. We say babies are a miracle. No, they're a providence, and they're a pretty amazing piece of providence. Because when a sperm eats an egg and they, cre- and they start to multiply, it creates a baby by God's providence. Barring other problems and issues, I think it's pretty darn incredible. And I'm a man, so this just weirds me out that those things grow in you ladies. That's just weird. I mean, it's like, huh? Well, okay, other other person. And so it's like, and then they they come out, they got ten fingers and ten toes, and you're like, they're so cute, and then they have attitude. It's amazing <laughs> that all these that all of us are God's regular providence. Your cells hold together. The atomic structures that make you up don't fling apart in the room. Your soul itself exists. And the Bible says it's by, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Providence is something to be blown away by. So how much greater than are miracles? Miracles are his uncommon supernatural work or supernatural work specifically to act in the universe to tell us something really, really important. And so when we look at this, we see it's an uncommon work. And so when I mean it's uncommon, I mean it's uncommon. It's not likely all of us in this room have ever seen one. If you've seen one, it's likely you've probably only seen one. Even in the third world countries where they're like, miracles happen all the time. Pastors probably only see one or two in their lifetime that they could really say that's a real miracle. Like eyes coming, you know, coming back to where they can see. People standing up who are paralyzed, dead being raised, these kind of things. And they're just like, that, that is mind-blowing. I don't understand how this works. But the reality is that this kind of miraculous action occurs. Lazarus was raised from the dead, and it's the story of Jesus' friend. And he's been dead for four days, so much so that rigor mortis had already set in, decay had already begun, because it's very clear they they had pretty much covered him up and spiced him up and all this stuff, put him in the tomb, rolled the tomb, this big rock in front of the tomb. So when Jesus shows up and he's going to resurrect him, and he says, roll back the tomb, and Mary goes, hold on, Lord. By this time, he stinketh. At least that's what the, uh, the King James Version says. I love that. He stinketh. Let that sink in. No, it's just, he's dead and it's, he's decaying. And then Jesus, from his word, says, Lazarus, come forth. And we have these pictures of this guy bound up, hopping forward like this out of a tomb. And bind him and let him, give him something to eat. And you're just like, what is going on here? That's supernatural. I don't care how many laws of physics and things we study. Death reversing itself is an incredible power we don't understand. We know it's not electricity and lightning from Frankenstein, and we know it's, uh, you know, whatever God is doing there, bringing animation is his prerogative and his power. And that's uncommon. That doesn't happen. There's 
supernatural events that are uncommon. This, at this time, we think of the idea of a man named Elijah who lived in a time of a wicked king named Ahab who had married a woman named Jezebel who worshipped false gods and had brought them into Israel. Was killing off all the prophets of, of the Lord of Israel. And so Ahab has got these guys named Baal, the prophets of Baal. And Elijah, who is a prophet of the Lord, says, you know what, I'm tired of this. And God says, Take, have this contest. He goes to Mount Carmel, invites the prophets of Baal and all the people to come watch this. And he says, you guys uh, set up your altar and call on your God and we'll see if he burns this, this offering of yours. And so they're dancing around and cutting themselves and wailing and singing and doing their crazy thing. And, you know, Elijah's over there laughing at him saying, maybe Baal's on the toilet and that's why he's not listening to you. One of the greatest insults in all scripture. And, um, he literally, and so they finally, nothing happens. Exhausted, they all fall down. Elijah just sets up this little tiny altar, digs a trench around it, cut, kills the bull, sacrifices the bull on the altar, and then goes and gets seven, buck, seven big old gallons of water, not gallons, but actually pots of water, and just pours them over the top of this thing, soaking it completely. And in one little small prayer, he prays, God, reveal yourself as the, king, as the God over all of Israel and the only God that exists by receiving this. And it says, fire fell from heaven and consumed the whole thing. And I love it because whenever you listen to Odyssey, and my kids listen to the story, fire falls from heaven. You hear this like, and the sound of like a raging inferno. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Fire falling from heaven within scripture means lightning. Always means lightning. Because when lightning strikes, it makes fire. So fire falling from heaven is a lightning bolt. Well, what would have been interesting is that they would have looked up, and there would have been no clouds in the sky to bring lightning because there had been a drought for three years. It was iron blue skies. And yet there was this bolt from the blue. Scientifically, that's what we call it, a bolt from the blue. And we know they exist when a storm front is marching in from a, in a coastal territory on its way and it's strong enough that the static electricity builds up in an area and a lightning bolt occurs where there is no clouds. We know this is what happens. Why do I call it a supernatural event? Because God is so in control of everything, he can aim the lightning a bolt from the blue. In fact, what's fascinating is after this event, after that lightning strikes, consumes this thing in the exact spot it needs to, in the way that God said he would to prove that he is God, Elijah says it's going to rain. And a huge storm rolls in off the Mediterranean and covers Israel and ends the drought. Fits all the scientific aspects, and yet at the same time, directly controlled by God to land precisely where it needs to with the right amount of information when it needs to. Miracles are not always supernatural. But it's always when God's trying to tell us something, he'll act. Either using the universe or going in and doing something that is so mind-blowingly against the universe, we wouldn't have any construction for how to do it. And this isn't like these people were like gullible. I mean, they're not sitting around just going like, well, they kind of hit the altar, so let's say it did, because wow, that's really cool. They're not sitting around watching what Jesus is doing going, oh yeah, George did that last week. We saw that guy the other day. He was doing miracles all the time. Like there's some, we, we paint them like they're gullible barbarians who have no clue. Notice what happened when Jesus actually says to this man, who he's brought down from a roof, laid in front of him because there was no room in this house, and he can't walk. He's on his mat, his bed. He's not going to pick up a mattress in the bed and walk out. He's going to pick up a mat that he's lying on. And he looks at him and says, 
Your sins are forgiven. Well, all the religious people look at Jesus and go, what are you saying? You can't say that. And he says, which is it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk out of here? And obviously the answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because, well, you don't have any visible proof of that. And so he says, to show you that I have the right to forgive this man's sins, get up, take up your bed and go home. The guy stands up, grabs his mat, and walks on out. And that's exactly the verse we're looking at here. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, what? We never saw anything like this. Huh. I wonder what you would say if you saw that. I think we'd say something like, we've never seen anything like this. Because... They're people like we're people. They have suspicion about people standing up and walking away who have been paralyzed their entire lives just like we do. And when those kind of things happen, we go, whoa, who are you and what are you trying to tell me? What is going on here? Something just happened that blew my mind that doesn't happen. What is going on? And that's the power of miracle. When God uncommonly acts and reaches in to say something, guys, all of us would be like, whoa, what, did, what just happened here? And so I want to show you, this is the common reaction no matter what time period we live in, what historical period we step into. It is still mind-blowing. In fact, miracles create wonder in our lives. It's, it's this manifestation of some interesting piece. And I don't just mean wonder like, oh, I wonder what's going on. I mean like awestruck wonder. And there's something about it because wonder is caused from three different places. First of all, it's caused by his power because miracles are a display of God's power, his supernatural capacity and ability to act. In fact, in the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer is there and and he's this guy who's running around Samaria and he's doing probably illusions, magic tricks, or some kind of dark arts with demons. And so people people are literally calling him Notice this, the last line. This man is the power of God that is called great. They saw that the power was associated with these acts. In fact, as it goes on, Philip shows up and they listen to his preaching. And so in verse 12, after this, it says, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon, this guy right here, was baptized. After being, after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So here's a guy who was doing stuff. Now he's blown away by what he's seeing here. In fact, he wants so badly to have this power as he thinks of it. He, he, he wants to pay for it, which becomes the church in the church is called simony, the, uh, the asking to buy salvation with money and buy the power of God with money. And, and Simon sees that this is power and enters into this conversation about this power. Miracles are a manifestation of power. And we already know that power brings both awe and fear. Have you ever been tossed in a wave? Anybody ever seen, how many have ever experienced a hurricane? You've been in the middle of like bunkered down as a hurricane's blowing over your head. Anybody from the Midwest? Okay. Or the South? Like here in California, we're like, whatever. Earthquakes. We're like, we like earthquakes. You're like fun. You know, it's like everybody else is scared of earthquakes. I mean, when you're in San Francisco though, and an earthquake hit and you watch the entire double-decker drop, you know the power of an earthquake. 
When you see the pictures of it leveling entire cities and hundreds of thousands of people dying. When you watch the pictures of a tsunami raging, you know, raging the, the Japanese seacoast, you start to think of power in a different manner. It's awesome. In fact, people were staring at the, the pictures of how the entire continents had shifted over the power. And it's awesome and frightening. And God's power and miracle rots the same kind of fear and wonder. And so the power of God is incredible and it's manifested. And it brings a sense of woe. But it also is caused by a display of his control and authority over all things. Many years ago, there was an amazing commercial that came out of Tiger Woods. I forget what he was selling. I forget what it was, but it, maybe you've seen it. He's holding a golf club in his hand, and he's just bouncing a ball on the end of the golf club. Dick, 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 and he's doing all this stuff with it. And my mind may have over-exaggerated at this point. But at the end of it, he flings the ball in the air and then does a perfect golf swing and hits the ball. Perfectly well. Anybody remember that commercial? I'm blown away at that commercial. I'm going, that is the best computer graphics I have ever seen. And then I read, no, he did that for real. And I was like, whoa. It's amazing. How many guys saw The Illusionist here at Valentine's Day? You missed out because this guy had incredible control. I mean, I have a friend who's done magic stuff before, and he showed me some of the ways you do some of the card tricks. He had such control, I couldn't see him do what I knew he was doing. And I'm like, I, I know what you're doing, but man, you, that is so good. It is mind-blowing when somebody has control over something. We celebrate quarterbacks and NBA stars, and all these people have control over these things. We're blown away by giftedness and control. And what God does, he shows up in a miracle, and he says, you want to see control? Watch me control the universe. Watch me make the bolt of blue land right where it needs to. Watch me, watch me take and part the ocean. I'll use a breeze, sure, but what, or the, the sea. Watch me, watch me act in a manner for my purposes. I've got control. I've got authority. It's no wonder after this very scene that we talked about where Jesus has that guy walk out, not only do they say, hey, we've never seen anything like this before. Another version puts it this way. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. You see, authority we understand. When you have somebody who can command and other people beneath them, he commands everybody down his downline. But nobody can, can command across the line unless given authority by somebody above. God has all the authority over it all. He controls it all and deals with it all. And he's granted authority to Christ to do these miraculous things and to his church. And so it is awesome and frightening when these things occur. Wonder is also then caused by God's presence in a powerful way. Paul and Barnabas show up. This is the last illustration of this. And as they're in a tour of the town, never seen before, never heard this gospel before, they start preaching the gospel and do some miracles. And suddenly the people freak out and they start running to him. When crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices saying, Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Jesus said, you see how I cast out these demons? It's because the kingdom of God has come upon you. And the reality is that the presence of God is directly manifested in a miracle. It is one of those shocking events when God reaches in uncommonly and shows up to do something that is directly his act. 
I mean, do we know how everybody in the Bible responds when God's presence shows up? They're not like, whoa, Jesus, high five, dude. That's not how it works. They fall on their face, and it takes God, it takes Jesus to say, don't be afraid, and stand him up, or it takes the angel to say, don't be afraid, because the manifestation when God's power and presence appears in that way is a fear, a dread, a sense of awe. That wonder is what we miss when we begin to think that God is standing outside of it and he can't do anything. We kind of start taking things for granted. We take God for granted. But once you've seen a miracle, once you've experienced something like that, there's a sense of incredible awe. It tilts your world. It throws you off. It, it, it shapes that God is working within. The deism dis, begins to dissolve and vanish. As we begin to see that he is fully in control of his world. And when he's reaching in, he's doing so to try to tell us something. We're like, whoa, that's cool. But does it really happen today? There's nothing that I've found, scripturally or otherwise, that keeps God from reaching in today. There's nothing, scripturally or otherwise, that seems to indicate that God doesn't still do miracles. Now, I'm not saying whether we should run after them and seek them out and all that stuff. We'll talk about that as we go on in the series. But the point is simply this, that God isn't limited. He's still capable. Yes, there are theologies out there that want to claim, hey, look, God did miracles at this time period, and now they're over. But really, I I search the scriptures that they've used, and they're oftentimes in these sections uh, uh, in, in the Bible. And one of them is actually this one in 1 Corinthians, where it seems that God has gifted his church with his spirit, And now one of the gifts that he gives is the healing by that one spirit and to the working of miracles and prophecy and ability to distinguish between spirits and other tongues and interpretations of tongues. And there have been people that have come out and said, all the gifts exist, but when you hit these ones right here, we're done. They don't happen after this. Sort of like the spirit went, all right, we're going to act, but I'm done doing that one. Glad that's over. Did God run out of energy? Is he tired? He's like, I can't do anymore. Whew got this thing started, it's good. There's no indication that he stops. In fact, what's interesting is when you start to do the research, that ever since Hume's statements that we talked about at the beginning, we've kind of been like, I don't know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. And then as the world has become more globalized, and we've become more connected with the rest of the world outside of the West, story upon story, Event upon event, first came from our missionaries, then came from our people who are visiting churches, then came from the churches themselves, until the point of that Greg Keener, after his exhaustive research, and about this much of the book is why miracles can occur, the rest of the book, the two volumes, are documentations of constant miracles that have occurred in history, in modern times, on every continent. That's a pretty big honking couple books. I mean, I'll be honest, His bibliography is a little big. But that's how much documentation it took for him to overcome the concepts in the American mindset of deism. That the supernatural God does indeed work and he continues to work and that there's no reason that he hasn't as it seems to say that the church is the location of that kingdom because God wants to step in and he's working. You see, the laws of physics don't stop God. It is his word that upholds the universe. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
He can act and his ability can move as he sees fit. It is not him breaking rules. It's all him working. But sometimes, sometimes he reaches in because he wants to tell us something really, really important. Guys, as I've talked to some of our own missionaries, my own friends in small groups who have come back from places like Myanmar, they were talking about this event that I, 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 they, they're still kind of reeling from, to be quite honest. Um, one of my friends, he, he began his journey as a Christian believing no miracles could occur, and he's now come to this place where he's starting trying to figure out how do these things work out because of what happened. Standing in, a, in the prayer side of the line because he doesn't have the medical ability, and over here are the people who have the medical ability. They're sitting there praying over these people. On the medical side, people are receiving are receiving medical help, but at the same time, suddenly they're being completely healed. In the meantime, he's praying over a man's abscess as it's shrinking, watching it go away, and they're watching people who have massive pain suddenly not have the pain anymore, and looking at them, going, "Who, who is this God? What are you doing?" People in our own church have experienced these kind of things inexplicable to me. Either the doctor made a mistake in his diagnosis about what x-rays we all know do, or God did something. And I have four children. Now, that doesn't mean that God's miracles are providence. What he does for one doesn't mean he's going to do it for all. And that's hard for us equal people of America. But when he acts... What he does is he reaches in because he wants to tell us something really, really important. You know what that is? I'll tell you next week. In the meantime, will you join with me in prayer? Father, thank you that you are not absent from our world ignoring our needs. You're not standing aloof to a universe that you spun and walked away from. You're not standing up there as this cosmic Santa Claus waiting one day to jump down the chimney to to judge and do some things. But you're ever-present in our hearts, in our lives, ready to meet us where we are with your comfort of your word, with the power of your spirit, with the beauty of your gospel. And God, we ask that you would indeed, for those of us who our hearts are struggling with the concepts of the miraculous, would you open our hearts up? For those of us who may have gone too far, claiming too many things as miracles, may we stand back to wonder at what are truly miracles and praise you for your providence as you pull it together. God, thank you that we can trust doctors because your providence is good. I thank you that we can call out on your work because you do the miraculous. And thank you that you are willing to work in our hearts to shape and change us by your presence. Oh Lord, would you reach into our lives, would you reach into our world and continue to reveal yourself that we may preach you more boldly and speak about you more confidently. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's children said, Amen.